We are in about week five of our series for the fall through the life of David. And this morning we're going to look at um, days of desperation in this David series. 1 Samuel 21. I'm going to read 1 Samuel 21, 10 through 22, 1 and 2. But even though we're going to cover some of the whole chapter. David's on the run. In 1 Samuel 21, verse 10 said, And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and make marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul, gathered to him, and he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, just thanks for the chance to start out the week together. Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, just thanks for the encouragement of worshiping together. Lord, thanks that you use your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. And so this morning... Lord, I pray that you would just remove any distractions, open up our hearts to you, help us to be encouraged by your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. How much control do you really have? Yesterday I was talking to one of the boys um, who stand outside our step. If you come out of our kitchen, we have a huge tree uh, just a few feet away from the steps. So I was standing there talking to one of the boys and all of a sudden, he noticed it says spider. And so from this huge tree, he, the spider was just dangling out of nowhere, just coming straight down between us. And so he went inside, and I stood there and watched the spider, because I was trying to see where he would go. So he, he came streaming down, and I'm watching him, and this spider's working hard. He's trying to figure out where to go with his net, and I'm watching him the whole time. And while he's putting all this effort into getting to where he wants to go, I just go like this, and I moved the spider a completely di- different direction. He ended up going somewhere he was not planning on going. I let him live. But he is somewhere in our yard. The spider is a lot like us in our lives. How much control do we really have over our lives? Really, if you consider the situations we go through, we are often really just like a spider on a web. And it seems like things are just getting tossed back and forth constantly. We, we sometimes end up in desperate situations. And that's where David is in this couple passages of 1 Samuel. He's in a desperate situation. He's in the middle of a crisis. And he's, in the, he's spending his life at the end of this in a cave. That's where his life has ended up. It's not the path that David would have chosen. This is not the way he thought his life was going to go. We, we saw he was just a shepherd. He was a nobody. All of a sudden, he, went, he was called, anointed. He ended up killing Goliath. He was then a champion of Saul. He was a leader. He was just being promoted in his job. He was unbelievably successful. And all of a sudden, he is 
just desperate. Everything, the way he thought it was going to go, is not going that way anymore. And he's, he's confused. He's not sure what's going on. And he's absolutely desperate. And some of you may be that way today. A crisis or a desperate situation is just anything in your life that makes you say, what's going on? Or why is this happening? Or what is the reason for this? All those things that are make us wonder and make us desperate. Sometimes they're very large things. Sometimes they're small things. For David, it was very large things. They're things that you could say are cave times. Caves are dark, they're damp, they're absolutely dreary. That's where David is at the end of this. He's kind of just in this cave. And life has its cave desperate moments. But what are we to make of the cave times in our life? But most importantly, what does God make of them? That's what we're going to see. We look at it by seeing that David was in a confusing circumstance. He was in a crushing condition. And what it took, what it takes to conquer doubt. David was in an unbelievably confusing situation. If you flip back just a couple chapters, David is on the height of the mountain. We looked at this last week. He is he's soaring in his career. Everything he touches is absolutely successful. And then all of a sudden, King Saul gets very jealous of him, very envious of him. And while David's doing his job, he, his, Saul throws spears at him. He tries to kill him twice. Saul tried to pin David to the wall. And David doesn't know what to do. He's confused. So he, he comes up with his best friend, Jonathan, Saul's son. They try to figure out this plan. Jonathan still thinks that his dad doesn't want to kill him. David's starting to think, maybe this isn't the place for me. And so as you go through the last chapter, they realize, David fully realizes that it is Saul's intent to kill him. That it is over. His job in the kingdom, the way he thought his life was going to go, is over. He was in an absolutely confusing situation, and he just starts to run. What, what he went through was absolutely unexpected. I mean, this wasn't what he chose. He was called up to all these things. He was called out of the, being a shepherd. He was called into the king's house. He didn't plan this at all. He was just going along through his life. And then all these unexpected negative things started to happen to him. He was absolutely confused. These were unexpected. They were uninvited. And they were absolutely uncontrollable in David's life. David did nothing wrong to get what was happening to him. Saul loved David at first. He was the hero. He brought him into his own home, loved him so much that he said, I'm going to bring this guy to live with us. And this guy is so talented. He can play the harp that I'm going to, when I'm, David, Saul was all upset. He had these terrible nightmares. He had these terrible spirits that were just driving him crazy. David would play the harp and calm him down. And so David was unbelievably dear to Saul. Because when Saul had a problem, He'd call David in, and through all that just great life that David was living, all of a sudden, unexpected, uninvited, and uncontrollable things started to happen to him, and he found himself in an abusive relationship. This mentor-friend king was just wanted to kill him. It was an unbelievably abusive situation. I want to say this, not as much as an aside, but in the news recently, we've been all hearing about abuse as being all over the news. In the NFL, 
And sometimes we don't like to talk about it. There is abuse everywhere in our world. There could be physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, psychological abuse. And when you are in an abusive relationship, you lose your voice or you feel like you've lost your voice. And I just want to say as a church, if we have failed you in the past or you feel that you cannot speak up about an abusive relationship that you are in, it's not true. David was in an absolutely abusive relationship with King Saul. But if you are in a relationship in any way that is abusive, you need to know that you are not alone. It's not your fault. You do not deserve it. You don't have to pretend like nothing's happening. You're not damaged goods. And God has not forgotten you. And if that is you, or if you know someone who is in that situation, do not cover it under the rug. Because when that happens, it's devastating. David is in that type of a situation. He has been in an abusive relationship with King Saul who wants to kill him. And he does what someone would do normally. He just runs. David is absolutely desperate. When those situations come, these devastating things, big or small, it brings insecurity, it brings fear, it brings loneliness, it brings danger, and it brings panic. And desperation unchecked, will leave you to begin to wonder about the promises of God. Is what God says true? And David is on the run. And his faith is somewhat wavering because of what he does in his desperate situation. He doesn't know where to go. All he needs knows is he's got to get out of it. He's got to run. He's got to move. And so the first thing he does, the first part of First Samuel 21, is he goes to Nob, which is where the, the priest were. It's the place of, that's where the worship was at this time. It was the place of sanctuary. It's a place where he should be safe. So he just runs. It's about two miles away from where King Saul was in the kingdom. So he takes off. He runs there. He comes up with this plan to try to save himself. He goes into survival mode and absolutely self-preservation, which is a human thing. But this is how David deals with the situation where he is absolutely desperate. He's, he's running for his life and he moves into self-preservation and survival mode. Survival mode is okay, but you're not supposed to live in survival mode. That, that's not how we are called to live. And this is how David deals with the situation. Is he's trying to figure out, why is this going on? What happened? How did I get in this situation? This is not what I want. And he's all absolutely confused by his circumstance. And he comes to Nob, and he comes up to, the, to Ahimelech the priest. And when Ahimelech sees him, Ahimelech is absolutely trembling because David is a leader of men. He's a warrior for Israel, and he always travels with his pack of men. But this time he comes by himself. And he, David says, Abimelech comes to him, and he says in verse 2, verse, verse 1, Ahimelech says in verse, of 21, And why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about what I send you. And with what I have char charged you. He's not completely honest with Ahimelech. 
It may be because he wanted to protect Ahimelech because he knew that if Saul found out he got help from him, he was going to wipe him out. But he wasn't quite honest. We don't know. It doesn't seem like he's fully honest. And as the story goes, he was even less honest because he gets to the end of this situation and he wants to, he asks Ahimelech for some bread, which is, was laid out as part of showing that God provides for his people some holy bread. Ahimelech gives it to him. And David says, hey, I need a weapon. Do you have anything, any weapons around here? The men are coming, and Ahimelech has to know. This is a captain. This is a warrior. He would not leave on a special mission from the king without taking his sword or his weapon with him. But he says, I don't have a weapon. I had to leave real fast. Do you have anything? And Ahimelech says to him, hey, we do have one thing. We have Goliath's sword that's wrapped up in the back of the temple, which David had saved and had used to kill Goliath, chop his head off with it. He said, we've, we've saved that. And, and David says to him, there's nothing like it. Give me that. And he goes. Here's the thing with self-preservation. When you're in a devastating situation, when your life is all about why, we all instantly often go to survival mode. And we try to go to self-preservation. Here's the problem with self-preservation and the plan that David had. The plan that David had was deception, which if you read in chapter 22, had devastating consequences. There was an Edomite named Doeg, it says, who just happened to be in the temple. Saw what David did with Ahimelech, went back and told King Saul, and Saul came and killed all of the priests. Even little deception has great consequences. We don't live to islands off to ourselves. Bernie Madoff, remember him? Who lied to all kinds of people, is now sitting in prison. Two of his sons have died. One hung himself, the other died of cancer a few weeks ago. And the one that died of cancer said that he feels like his cancer came back because of his dad's sin. When we deceive in any little way, we are not just deceiving ourselves. It has consequences way beyond what we could possibly imagine. So David's self-preservation plan, just to, hey, I'll just be deceptive, I'll try to figure this thing out on my own, was he tried to lie and had devastating consequences. And then David says, you know what, I'm going I'm to take Goliath's sword. And this is what David does with Goliath's sword in verse 10. David rose up, it says, and he fled that day from Saul and he went to Achish. He left the nation of Israel. He left his homeland, and he went to the Philistines with the greatest Philistine's sword, the champion of the Philistines. You think somebody would notice? Hey, that sword looks awfully familiar. That's the one that our champion often used to kill all you guys. David thought that he could escape, go down to Achish, and kind of get hired out as some mercenary, trying to help out the Philistines, and just kind of lay low. But people notice him. And they see what he has. And so David has to go into this complete acting job, and he acts like he's crazy. I mean, he literally just starts performing. He's got, he starts letting spit hanging down out of his mouth. I mean, it's a very vivid scene. He's got spit hanging down. He's at the, the gates scribbling stuff like he's a crazy guy in the wall. So much so, so much so that the king says, why do you have this crazy man with me? Let him go. Don't you see I have enough crazy guys already? I don't need another one. David's self-preservation plan, and often yours and often mine, when we are in devastating situations, 
and trying to figure out how to handle them is we try to be self-sufficient and self-preserve. It's human. It's what they did in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned. And when it all came out that they failed, they instantly went to be self-sufficient. Instead of we that it was, it's me. I didn't do it. She did it. I didn't do it. He did it. When you are in self-preservation, you think that you can be self-sufficient, you instantly start becoming about somebody else. Very selfish. David's plan had devastating consequences in his deception. And and then his plan was to defend to depend on a defeated weapon. And some of us do the same thing. Some of you have struggled with things for years. And you think you get victory over them, and then something breaks up in your life, something uncontrollable happens, some crisis raises up, and you go back to that same thing that you have been battling forever, some defeated weapon that has never satisfied you in the past. No addiction, no Money, no power, no whatever it is. But you get devastated, you're in a situation, and instead you just go into self-preservation or be self-sufficient, and you instantly go back to some already defeated weapon that never helped you in the past. It's not going to help us now. And then David also developed this great performance. I mean, he, he convinced this whole group of people that he was literally crazy. And some of you, that's how you deal with Devastating circumstances. That's how you're coping. That's your self-sufficiency. You would rather nobody know what you're going through. You would rather just perform every Sunday. Show up, sit down, leave, say the right things, even in front of your own kids, your own children, your own wife, than to admit that there is something deeply wrong and I need help. This is all what self-preservation does it's deceptive it depends on defeated weapons and it develops these great performances you can even use religion where you are trying to just medicate yourself with doing good things and all of them are going to bring you to the crushing condition that david found himself and they don't satisfy and after david went through all those things all this great energy all this great effort He finds himself in an absolutely crushing condition. He escapes. But verse 22 says this. Verse 1, David departed from there and escaped to the cave Adullam. This is not a good thing. David went through all that work to preserve himself, and then he ends up in a cave. He was almost... He had been anointed to be king. He was with the king. And now all of a sudden, he's at the lowest point of his life. Doing all those things did not give him the satisfaction that he wanted. It ended him up in a crushing condition. He's in the cave of Adullam. And who lives in caves? Terrorists live in caves. Terrorists are living in caves right now. So everything that David was not and could not and did not want to be his life was resembling it. Everything that he was struggling in his own efforts to try to not be, to try to figure out his devastating situation, all of a sudden he's end up in this cave resembling exactly what Saul said he was. Saul says, you're a terrorist. You're trying to kill me. You are trying to take my kingdom. 
David said he wasn't doing any of those things. That's not at all what David was doing. He was falsely accused. It was all unjust. It was wrong. David takes off run and tries to deal with it in his own way. And he ends up in a cave being and looking, or looking anyway, exactly like King Saul said he was. A terrorist hanging out waiting to kill the king. And David is at his lowest point. We read the first Samuel account and we can see the story. But the beauty of the Bible is that David tells us what he was, God even tells us what David was thinking when he was in the cave. If you flip over to Psalm 142, Psalm 142 is a psalm. He wrote about three or four of them. But one of the psalms that David wrote while he was in this cave. When he had all these confusing circumstances happen to him in his crushing condition at the lowest point of his life, this is what David says was true. If you look at the top of your most Bibles, it says a mascal of David when he was in the cave of prayer. And David said this, With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with them. And in Psalm 57, also a a psalm he wrote while he was in that cave, the lowest point of his life, one of the great low ones, verses 1 through 3 and 10 through 11 says this. We won't read the whole thing. David says, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Verse 10 says, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. David is at a crushing point in his life. It's absolutely low. That's what he writes when he's in the cave. When we are in those situations, we try often sometimes to put on deception. We don't want to be honest with people. We, we, we try to depend on our own defeated weapons and just we end up going back to things that were never helpful for us in the past. Or we just develop this ability just to perform. We don't let anybody know what's going on. We just put on these images and put on these faces. And that's not what David did when he was in his crushing condition. When David was in this, his lowest point, when it seemed like nobody cared about him, nobody was there to help him, and it was all unfair, he prayed. He went to God and he prayed honestly. And not some frivolous church prayer. David literally prayed a prayer of grace in those psalms. Paul's all says this. A prayer of grace is simply plain speech addressed to God from the standpoint of human need. It's saying this. God, I am so upset I don't know what to do. 
The situation is beyond me. If you don't do something about this, nobody will, and I can't. Please, dear God, help me for Christ's sake. Amen. That is a prayer of grace. That's a person who realizes that performing, being deceptive, going back to my own ways isn't going to help me. It's the person coming to the end of themselves and saying, the only help I can get is from God. I'm just going to go to him. I'm just going to be honest with him. And what does God feel for those in desperate times? Compassion. God has great compassion for people who will just come to him and openly ask him for help. Who will say, I can't do it. Help. Paul Tripp says, it's only when you face the depth of your need that you can adequately celebrate the grandeur of God's provision. How did David begin to conquer doubt in his life? Because we know the rest of the story. We've read the rest. He doesn't stay in the cave. How did he get out of it? And what does God do for us? And what does he do for you and me when we are in times of desperation? When it's unfair, it's not right, it's out of our control. We can't fix it. It's like someone pushed our spider web out of our way, and we don't know where it's going to end up and land. What does God do for people in desperate times? God covers them. All through this time, God was covering David. You read back over it and look what God's trying to do. God's trying to move David from a shepherd boy to become the king. So what he does is he carries David all the way through this. When David was absolutely desperate in front of Ahimelech, Ahimelech still gives him bread. When David lied and needed the help, Ahimelech still gave him the bread to eat. God provided for him. And in the New Testament, Jesus spoke of what Ahimelech did, and he did not criticize him at all. Ahimelech was not a legalist in any way. But God provided for him. And then God gave David a cave to dwell in. He gave him a place of shelter. He covered him. There was a place of protection. He gave him a sanctuary. He gave him a place to be. That's what God does for people who are in desperate times when they come to him and say, Help! I can't do it, God. Help! may not look exactly the way David thought it was going to look, but he was absolutely protected in this cave. Then God gave him a community of people around him. I mean, David is in a low point of his life. In the pit of the low point. And then he gets in this cave. And God brings a community of people around him. But kind of look at the community. He says he's in this group of people. And they, they weren't down there with him. His family came. Because they must have heard that Saul's after David. They're probably going to wipe us out too. His family came to the cave. And then it says this. And everyone who is in distress. Everyone who is in debt. And everyone who is bitter in soul. You may not seem like that's the best community to hang around with when you are desperate. That may not seem like the group that's good. And these people were absolutely desperate. The words, are, are, it's even more. The, the, the stress that these people were in was almost like it was to the point of starvation. They weren't going to make it. That's how distressed that they were. They were in so much debt because King Saul was living for himself, not for the people of Israel, and he was taxing them way over than they could handle. And they were in extreme debt. But God brought them a community. It may not be the people that you think you need, 
But God will always provide for you and provides for us a community. And one of the great ways he does that is through a local body of believers. God covers us. He covers us with people. He covers us with the local church. That's what he did. He said, I'm going to take very perplexing people who have all kinds of different personalities, all kinds of different backgrounds, and I'm going to place them into your life. And you can run away from that because you don't like those people. They don't get along with you all the time. You can't figure it out. Or you can see that this is God's plan. Don't underestimate the people that God has placed in your life. Often, it may not be the people that you think you need, but it is always the people that God knows that you need. Don't push away from that. Don't push away from the church. Don't push away from the local grace that God gives us of bringing together in a local area perplexing people with all kinds of problems that God's going to use in your life. That's what we want our church to be about life groups this year. We, we want people to be engaged together, just not sitting together listening, but sitting in rooms together sharing and listening about the perplexing issues of life and saying, hey, I've got that problem. I need help with that and hearing that back and forth. So join a life group this year. Be a part of that. God brings a community of people to David in his lowest part. And they were not perfect people. They were perplexing people. They had all kinds of problems. But God took that group of people, and from that group, David got his mighty men of valor, where people were, one guy killed 800 guys with a stick. That came from that group. One guy defended a whole bean field by himself. That came from that group. Don't underestimate the people that God's placed in your community of faith. Press into them. And then God gave them a covenant. David pictures for us more than just David. If you look at David's life, David's not the kind of guy, you don't look at David's life and say, hey, I want to to pattern my life after David. I want to be like David. That's not the picture you're supposed to get of David. David is not a life that we say, I want to pattern my life after him. David is an example of a real life. He lived the ultimate real human life. He experienced all kinds of problems, all kinds of sin, all kinds of obstacles. So our point to look at David is not to say, hey, be like David. No, because many of us could be better than David in some ways. What David shows us is that this is real human life. And David's life, though, it points to a perfect person. It points to a covenant keeper. David's life points to a perfect Savior who went through all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of problems, all kinds of unexpected dangers. And he lived them perfectly. David was in a cave. He had no help, no place. This was not his home. And that should point you to somebody else who is better than David, who was in the same situation. Matthew chapter 8, verse 20 said, Jesus said this about himself. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And the people of Israel, when Jesus said that, they could have said this. They could have said, wait a second. I've seen this story before. We had a king back a long time ago who ended up in a cave. He had no home. He had no place to live. He had no place to lay his head. But 
he overcame. And King David, he came to reign. And now here's another prophet who has no place to live, no place to lay his head. And he's even better than David. I'm going to believe in Jesus. Jesus is our covenant keeper. He's our promise keeper. He's the perfect savior. All through David's life, God's moving his providence to move David forward for his glory. And when you are in a desperate situation, if you're in a dire situation right now, God covers you with protection. He, he still gives you daily bread to eat. He's given you a community of faith, even that they may be perplexing people. And he's given you a covenant keeper in Jesus Christ himself. He came. He lived. He suffered. And he died. He took our place on the cross. God calls us to life's caves to carve out more of us and move in more of Christ. And the good news of the gospel is that the hard work has already been done. We walk through times of desperation with the perfect companion. In Jesus, you never walk alone. You are not walking alone when you're desperate. That's the good news of the gospel. We don't have to do anything. Jesus has already done it for you. As you walk this week in your desperate situation, that things that's shaking you up, you're not walking alone, and you don't have to do anything to get God's favor. Jesus already did it. He just says, do you trust me? Will you call out for me to help, and will you trust me? Obey and trust and follow Jesus. to blow When I'm empty and alone I turn to you When there's hardest in my heart 